Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Revenue on the Rocks. We are officially into season two, episode 10. Today, much to Natalie's dismay, I'm sure, it is once again just her and myself. We do not have a special guest today. Pretty excited about the topic we're going to chat about. We were trying to figure out what we wanted to discuss today. And we had this idea of, you know, we're officially one month in to 2024. And I know so much time and effort was spent in Q4 in the last half of last year, planning for 2024, thinking about new initiatives, ideas, kind of forecasting what we think the market might be like. So we thought it'd be kind of fun 30 days in to kind of check in on those resolutions, those ideas, those initiatives, and see how we're pacing towards them. Is 2024 off to the start that we thought it would be? Um, so we're kind of excited to just run a quick State of the Union 30 days in here. Uh, but before we get started, as always, Natalie, excited to hear what you're drinking today. Yeah, I am drinking, I did go back to wine, but I am drinking, used to be really into like heavier reds, but ever since, sorry to be that person, but ever since I got back from my trip to Italy. Um, oh boy. I know, sorry to be that person, but I've been like super into like a nice, like a Chianti, Montepulciano. It's also just cause like, I'm now back in my, I love Italy phase. I have family there and want to live there again. So any chance I get to drink a Chianti, like every time I go to a wine bar now, I'm getting a Chianti. So I bought myself a nice Chianti. By nice, I mean like $10. I was excited to share. We probably need to have an offline conversation about this, that I did get invited to a wedding that's going to be in Tuscany in uh, October. And I've never been to Italy, but uh, looking forward to it. And we'll certainly hit you up for some recs. Um, Natalie, let's start with you. Excited to learn about what your sort of projections were for 2024, how you thought maybe it would be different from like a market perspective, a Nevadic perspective, your role, marketing in general. So how is it going so far 30 days in? Is it kind of what you expected and what have you noticed? Yeah, I think so. Part of the reason I decided to talk about this is because obviously 2023 wasn't the best year ever for software, especially like summer 2023. And I felt a lot of marketers I was talking to, especially in Q4, Kind of felt like, okay, 2023 was not our year, but 2024, you know, we're getting some early signals. Things are picking back up a little bit again. It's not as dead. Budgets are open a little bit. So like, we're feeling, you know, feeling better, projecting a better year for 2024. And in some ways you kind of have to, right? It's pretty hard to go to your board and say, we're gonna have another down year. We're gonna have another 2023 year. So we kind of just all had to, you know, pick ourselves up and be like, 2024 is our year. And so far, it's funny. It's been like kind of exactly pacing how it was. It hasn't been anything crazy yet. It's not like suddenly the year turned and everyone suddenly has budget magically now and a year changing didn't solve all of our problems like as marketers we would have liked them to. But I haven't noticed it being any slower either. Like it's pretty similar to pre-holidays for us, which intuitively makes sense, but there has been a little bit of like, oh, it didn't just, I don't know, like Q1's usually a crazy quarter. I think we're still seeing a little bit of the effects of 2023. Curious if that's resonating on the sales side. Overall on the sales side, to your point, things feel you know pretty normal um, for for Nevada specifically. I think one thing that I've noticed isn't super common for Q1 is we are having a lot of companies come in and say, "Hey, we're really excited about something like this as an initiative for maybe Q2 or maybe Q3." And typically, that's a talk track that you hear more in Q4, right? Makes sense. Hey, Ben, I'm you know December first here. I've got some time on my hands for the holidays. Starting to kick the tires on things for Q1. That's not typically something you hear in Q1. So that is a little bit of a difference. So I'm wondering if that has to do with maybe like more budget restrictions coming into the year. That's something I've noticed. The second piece I've noticed is a continued trend, and I'm not breaking any news here. That more and more often, it's common for 
initial stakeholders to need to loop in additional teams. So primarily we sell to marketers, for example, on a lot of the calls I've been on recently or I've been listening to for my team, it's a marketer really excited about Nevada, but then saying like, hey, I need to schedule another call with my CSM team who's interested in this, my onboarding team or my sales team. So it's definitely kind of like a multi-team, I would say purchase, whereas before it was very common, just the marketing team being like, yep, I got it, it's all me. As far as looping in the other stakeholders, do you think that it's a trend of trying to like share budget more? Is that where that's coming from? Or I wonder if there was just a big consolidation play last year. Like a lot of companies like, hey, we're spending like two different departments are using the same software. So now they're being stricter on when evaluating software, you need to see if our other departments would use this. Yeah, I, I suppose it's a little bit of both depending on the company you're speaking with. But I think more often than not, it's not necessarily budget focused. It's more just, hey, I want to be able to go make a business case for this. And I don't just mean budget. I mean, when I go and tell like the powers that be that we're interested in buying this tool, I can say, look, here's how it's going to help my team. But it's also going to help our go to market motion in X, Y and Z categories as well. So again, it's not necessarily about like, hey, who wants to split the bill with me? It's more just like, hey, I just want to prove this is going to provide value throughout the funnel and not just my team. And one thing I will say is there's two ways to think about or look at that. It definitely makes the deal cycles a little bit longer, a little bit more annoying and frustrating on the sales side, right? Multiple demos, different stakeholders, different priorities, blah, blah, blah. But I think the way we're trying to approach it at Nevada that I'm excited about is so much of our efforts on the CS side have always been, hey, marketing team, you love Nevada. It's on your website. This looks fantastic. Mind introing me to you, like your sales team or your CS team. And that can be a really, really tricky kind of multi-threaded you know, outreach, right? Like sometimes teams like, yes, here's a contact on our enablement. Go talk to them. But other times that can be really tricky. So now if we're having those or starting those conversations earlier in the funnel, I think it does help set up the customer success team to create a stickier customer if they're evaluating, in our case, interactive demos for more than just like a marketing use case, for example. So I think it's a little annoying for us on the sales side, but ultimately it's going to help create a stickier customer. It's funny. I was just thinking about that when you said that of like, so often in sales, between marketing sales and customer success, it's kind of like the balance. Like we often just think, oh, if I have shorter sales cycle, like that's the best thing I want. And obviously you want to strive towards a shorter sales cycle, but we think like, okay, get someone in as fast as possible, make sure they see value, boom, sign. But we just kind of ignore, and that's not on the sales team, that's on the entire leadership, but they kind of just ignore of like, oh, that might make the customer a little harder to expand later on. That might mean we don't have as good of a relationship with them. I like the positive spin your team is putting on it of it's not just, okay, maybe it's making our sales cycle a little more annoying, but we know that will pay off in the long run to see us. And you know, that might mean also like more customers referring us if more customers are involved in the sales process. Yeah, definitely. It also helps bridge that gap between, I think, like the sales and CS handoff process as well, too, because we're just getting CS involved earlier, right? Like, hey, I'm talking with this company, I'm working with their marketing team, but they've also looped in their sales team. So, you know, there's potential for upsell into these products, or here's multiple contacts that you're going to have an opportunity to work with. And so looping in the sales team earlier, kind of in tandem with companies who are multi-threading, kind of helps bridge some gaps that otherwise you would have encountered down the road. Yeah, I, I want to have something kind of related, kind of not. But this is a trend we've talked about before. We've even talked about it a little in the podcast. But like, if I had to call it the number one thing that I've heard in 2024, it's a movement, I don't want to say away from PLG, but kind of, and two more just like a holistic idea of self-serve buying. It's almost like a rebranding of PLG that I'm hearing. And I know we've talked about this before, Ben, but just curious if that's like coming up in the sales cycle at all. And how people like what you're hearing on that topic. 
it's like my favorite thing that somebody says to me on a call is, hey, Ben, like we don't have a free trial. It's not realistic for our platform, but our platform is super, super technical. And the reason, Ben, you and I are having this conversation is because we've heard over and over again, prospects requesting to get hands on with our software earlier and more transparently. So think about if you work in like, I don't know, like the security tech space, right? Like not a space where you'd expect to see a free trial. Typically, they're holding their cards fairly closely. But I love hearing from other companies that one of the main asks when they were reviewing 2023 and what they could improve is prospects asking for more exposure to the software, right? Because that's exactly what, not just interactive demos, like let's just open it up for everybody. Like videos can solve this, interactive demos can solve this. Like I just love that we are continuing to see a trend where buyers are like, I'm down for PLG, I'm down for sales, but no matter how you tend to operate as a company, I need more access to the product. That's kind of like the underlying theme. But it's interesting that more companies are solving it, at least from what I'm hearing. And I'm not trying to make, to your point, like you can do this outside of interactive demos. I'm not just trying to make a pitch for that. But I'm just hearing more companies versus in the past, it felt like when you got that feedback of like, we need hands-on access, the immediate thought was PLG. And the immediate thought was like, okay, we need to transform our entire company to now shift from a sales to PLG motion. What I'm hearing now is like, how can we incorporate elements of PLG? Like, where can we cherry pick? I was talking to someone the other day who was saying they're talking with one customer of theirs and they're like, PLG works best for us in an expansion play for our existing customers. Not necessarily on the acquisition side. It doesn't do great for acquisition, but it's really great for upsell. And like, I like that we've expanded the definition of PLG where it's not just like, okay, redo your entire sales and marketing funnel, fire your sales team, let's throw, like, throw your business upside down. Well, that's what, I feel like that. I feel like that's why sales reps used to hate PLG because that's the association with it. It was like, okay, we're going to uproot the entire business, but now it feels like we're just like, how can we do it in small, more manageable ways? Um, that I found interesting because PLG was so hot for so long, and it felt like it was one of those things that was never going to die down. Yeah, I would. I would tend to agree with that. I would say the other thing that I've noticed, somewhat unrelated, but. Historically, typically, like we, for example, we sell top down, right? So typically we're chatting with somebody who's in like a leadership position in a marketing or sales organization. It typically, all we had to do was convince that individual that Nevadic was a good fit, interactive demos made sense for their go-to-market plan, boom, contract done, we're ready to go. Now, what I've definitely noticed is we're still top down chatting with these leaders, but they have a stronger emphasis on you know, Ben, I lead the sales team at XYZ company. I'm actually not going to be the one building these. So while I'm completely sold on the initiative, like you need to go talk to Natalie, who's going to be in charge of actually building these demos out and kind of convince her that this is the right tool. It's something that she can easily manage. So I think that maybe also gets back to perhaps companies getting burned by buying a lot of software without kind of checking with the people who are actually going to be using it on a day-to-day basis, which overall I think is good, right? It puts a more of an emphasis on product around, hey, you better be creating something that's fun, collaborative, easy to use. Um, because the trend that we have noticed is leadership is still excited about these initiatives, but more than ever, they're relying on the end users to give the green light. Yeah, I feel like it's almost like a democratization of buying software, both like everyone in the company needs to be involved in different departments and everyone needs access to it. Like it can't just be the live demo or can't just be the admin setting up a free trial. Like they just want to like anyone who's involved to be able to see and use the product before they buy it, which shouldn't be such a revolutionary thing, but it it does feel like a big switch. I'm wondering too, kind of connecting those two points. It feels like engineering resources are like, as always, really highly valuable, but if it's so important that your product's super easy to use, you have all the features that you need, especially I feel like every market's like, somehow like both 2023 was hard for software, yet every market is still crazy competitive 
I, I don't know how that ended up. But anyways, it feels like engineering choices are so highly valued. Companies are hesitant. Maybe that's why they don't necessarily want to invest all in PLG because they really need those for making the product super user-friendly. And then on top of that, as many features as possible because it just feels like it doesn't feel like the competitive nature of SaaS went away at all in 2023, even though it was struggling. Like that just doesn't make sense to me. Like everyone's struggling, but everyone's still here and every market seems to have like 10 software players in the space. Well, actually, let me flip that on its head because it kind of does make sense to me. So the economy is in such a tough place and the market was just in such a tough place, however you want to think about it. When the market is booming and rock and rolling, everybody eats right? We don't really have to worry about it as much, right? So like we can have a lot of competitors living adjacently in the same space and everything is just rocking and rolling that everyone's in a really, really good spot. When the economy is not in a good spot, the market's in a tough spot, it becomes way more competitive because you are fighting tooth and nail for every single deal because it is so much more valuable for your company. So all of a sudden you're lowering prices, you're giving them more discounts, you're kind of like handing things away as needed, doing anything you can to win the deals because there are less deals to go around. You know, I I have actually appreciated, I think, about the tough economy that we've all been selling in the last couple of years, the tough environment. This is like super counterintuitive to say because I sell software and like I'm in the software selling space. But I feel like it forced a lot of companies to get out of kind of like bullshit selling tactics. For example, there's a lot of software out there that like I've sat in on a lot of demos and I'm like, I'm sorry, how much did you say the software was? Oh my God, it's 40 grand. Like never even considered it. So like, I think the fact that things have gotten a lot more competitive and the market is in a little bit of a tougher environment, it's forcing companies to be more product forward, to open up their software quicker, to create better like go-to-market and selling strategies that are a lot more prospect and customer focused because prospects do not have patience for that. And if they can go knock on six other doors, if they don't like the way that you're priced or positioned, they have the ability to do so. So I think in a lot of ways, it kind of like maybe corrected an inflated software environment generally. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And another thing on top of like it just being more competitive because there's less to go around. I feel like I saw a lot of startups being started last year, which kind of makes sense. Like people get laid off from, you know, bigger companies who are brilliant, really smart people. And then they're like, well, screw it. Big companies were supposed to be safe and that wasn't a safe option. I'm finally going to do what I've been wanting to do, which is a startup. So like, while you think people wouldn't want to enter a market during a down year, I'd love to see any stats, if I don't know if anyone has them, but on how many startups were started this year. Because I feel like I just saw like so many new companies emerging this year. I feel like the competitive piece of it too is like a good sign. As weird as that is to say, right? Like if you're selling in a space where there's no other competitors, it means you either just have like such a niche or stronghold on it that you're in an amazing spot. Great for you. Or it means perhaps there's just not a ton of product market fit, right? Like if we were the only interactive demo player in the space... I don't know if that would be a good sign because then it's just like, oh, maybe there's just not something here. Nobody else is really interested in it. So to your point, Natalie, like especially in our space specifically in the last three years, like when I first started, there were three companies and now there's like nine or 10. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit annoying, whatever, like more competitive, but it's also a really, really good sign that we're onto something. Oh, I have a good question for you. Okay. Give me your hot take on something you think might happen in 2024 in the market, really, really good or really bad? Like what's like a hot take you have for 2024? Um, my hot take, this is from like a marketing sense, is companies are going to react. I've already sort of seen this, but are reacting to the downturn and having to have a good year this year in two ways. There's one way that I've been seeing a lot of companies doing, which is like, we're going to go all in events in person, building personal relationships, like that's all that matters. I'm hearing a lot more people focusing on like dinners, meeting customers, all that. And then there's the other hand of marketers and teams that are like, 
we can only do things that are really trackable now because, you know, we have to really prove ourselves. So we're going all in on mass outbound or LinkedIn ads. Companies are either going back to the way of marketing of really con like connection focused or they're going back to the way of marketing kind of like, I'd say, but a little more spammy. It's been funny to see. Like, I feel like we kind of met in a middle ground last year where people were doing some in-person events, maybe doing some outbound still. And it seems like now there's like this divide where you're either team like in-person connections, that's all that matters, near bound, I've heard it been called, like all these things, or it's like, ah, we're gonna, <laughs> we're going back to like, and it's funny because I talk to the marketers and they'll be frustrated about it. It's like, yeah, like we have to go back to only things that are super trackable. So we're doing a lot of like outbound and LinkedIn ads. So that's been sort of funny to watch. Like both, you could say, I don't know if you want to call it progress, but both it moving in different directions at the same time. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think that probably ties pretty well into what we were just describing, right? Like you talked about how like everything needs to be trackable. Like that probably ties back to budgets being a little bit tighter, right? Like we need to make sure that we understand exactly what potential ROI we have from any action we take on the marketing side. I think for me, there are two. One might be moderately redundant. So if you're a big fan of the show, you might've heard me say this before. I continue to believe that the world of free trials is going to continue to dwindle. Not for everybody. I'm speaking in generalities. But I cannot tell you. I talk to marketing and salespeople all day long. That is my job. And what I hear on 97% of my calls for companies who have free trials is, Ben, our free trial sucks. It doesn't convert. We hate it. And we're trying to figure out how to improve it. And I just think at some point, we're going to get to a breaking point where these companies are going to say, why do we continue to try to push something that we know for a fact is converting miserably? It is not working for our business. And we're sinking a ton of money into it, trying to improve it, even though we're not showing any signs of improvement. So I'm not telling you exactly how to solve that problem. I'm just telling you what I've heard nonstop from marketers. So I think the continued slow death of free trials is what we will see. And then the other take I have is, I think to reject AI would be very just like ignorant of me generally like that's clearly the direction the world is is pushing towards but i just think like something with ai is going to happen whether it's just going to be burnout or you want to talk about like competition like with the development of ai it is so much easier to build a company if like you could literally just take a product that somebody has already built turn it into like some sort of like ai or automation and like rebrand it like i don't mean to like call out this entire industry. But if I open my inbox for LinkedIn right now, I bet you I have about 17 or 18 messages from companies who are starting outbound driven AI programs. And it's just like, at some point, we're going to reach a breaking point on this. But this kind of goes to my point of like the spammy outbound. I've heard I've heard so many of those companies too. That that scares me so much. It's freaking scares me. It, it's either like people that I talk to are going all in on super personalized, highly only sending like 10 outbound messages a day or they're adopting AI outbound machines. And it just doesn't, it feels like there's no middle ground anymore. It's like we're either, you can only talk to three people a day or you have to boil the ocean. So mm. I don't know that, I agree. I feel like something, I feel like there's gonna be a lot of pushback against that. Yeah. Like I think about this in like the SEO sense because a lot of SEOers are really praising how many blogs you can now write with ChatGTP. And already you're kind of seeing Google push back on them. But I think people are going to start being almost like outed for using AI. I, I've already sort of like heard about this where it's like if you are found out that you used AI to like mass produce your blogs, 
and they're all not great. And it's one thing like I know plenty of marketers and I've done things like this too, where you might use AI as a first draft or use it to help you with a certain section. Like I'm not saying don't use it. I'm saying the people who are pumping out like thousands of blogs and no human is ever revising it. Like I feel like there's almost going to be like a little bit of a witch hunt for companies that are clearly outsourcing everything to AI. Yeah, just like a general AI fatigue. And again, I am not anti-AI. I think it's really, really cool when you can incorporate it into your product in a way that like makes the user experience a lot more efficient. I'm just saying like we are 30 days into the 2024 and every other day I'm getting hit up about like another mutual action plan or like outbound software that is all generated via AI. And I'm just like, holy cow, there's that space is just going to be so crowded and competitive. It's going to be nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That, that AI space kind of scares me. I'm glad that we're like, we talk about us being competitive, but I've, I've talked to some AI marketers and I can't even imagine. Man, brutal. Okay. Let's end on a happy note. Unless you had any more hot takes or AI complaints. Wait, I get to do the outro. I did the intro. Oh, okay. Yeah. Natalie, this is in case you all didn't notice, I got to do the intro today and I would like to do the outro as well. Okay. Well, as always, time flew by. Really, really enjoyed it. Natalie, thank you so much for um, spending this time one-on-one with me. Apologies, we didn't have a guest, but um, yeah, really excited for uh, another year of Revenue on the Rocks and additional seasons. And uh, yeah, give us a shout if there's anything else you would like us to discuss. But Natalie, any closing thoughts? Okay, first of all, I'm insulted by how much you just like AI pasted what I typically say. So I'm changing up my outro in the future. I was going to end, try to end on the last question. So sorry, Ben, you're not done talking to me yet. Okay. Um, I just want to see if you had any like uh, one tip for everyone selling in 2024, like or go to market thing, like anything to end on a positive note versus how AI is going to ruin 2024. Should I say use AI? <laughs> um, I would say... Speaking to my leaders out there, continue to try to formulate your go-to-market strategy in a way that makes buying your software fun and easy and watch how much more success you have. Every decision you make around how to approach negotiations, conversations, discovery, everything should be framed through the lens of how can I make buying XYZ software really fun, really enjoyable, and as easy as possible. That's so sweet. I was going to say something kind of similar. I was going to say like, Marketers, I feel like you're going to hear people yelling at you from both sides, right? You're going to be people yelling at you for using AI, for not using AI, for being personalized, for not doing enough. Just kind of similar to Ben's point of like, just listen to what your audience wants. If mass outbound AI, maybe it works for your audience. Maybe it will. I don't know. So I don't know. Just don't feel overwhelmed by everyone screaming at each other this year because I'm predicting a lot of screaming. I didn't end on a happy note. <laughs> wow, I feel so happy. <laughs> All right. Thank you all for tuning in. Appreciate it. And catch you next time. Cheers, everyone. Cheers.